This podcast is sponsored by Traction Capital Partners, a private investment firm based out of Tacoma, Washington. Traction Capital focuses on acquiring businesses based in the Pacific Northwest that have between $1 and $5 million in earnings. For more information, please visit tractioncp.com. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Alex Bridgman and this is Think Like an Owner. This show seeks out conversations with business owners and investors to learn how to acquire and run companies. For more information, visit alexbridgman.com. I've wanted to record a few episodes that focus on specific themes, industries, and strategies around acquiring small companies, and this episode is the first in a few to come. My guest today is an anonymous Twitter account named Defensive Capital, who I've gotten to know over the past few months. True to the account's name, he works in supply chain in the defense industry, and our conversation focuses on opportunities for entrepreneurs and searchers in the industry. If you have any interest in the defense industry or manufacturing, you're going to like this one. Enjoy. Thanks for joining. It's it's fun to have another anonymous account, but you know, when focused on the defense industry, it's one I've always been fascinated by, and I'm excited to hear about your experience in it. And can you talk about as much of your background as you're willing to share and how you got into defense? So I uh, enlisted when I was 17, right out of high school. I thought I was going to be sticking around uh, the area that I'm from, hanging out on a boat, cruising around and, and doing fun stuff like that. But the Coast Guard sent me over to Seattle right out of boot camp, and I ended up doing maintenance on the polar rollers and things like that. So I, I did mostly mechanical stuff uh, my first two years. And then my second two years, I switched over to doing law enforcement. I did a lot of the maritime safety mission and things like that here in Boston. Um, a lot of search and rescue stuff. Uh, and so mostly with a background like that, people get out of the Coast Guard and they end up either becoming diesel mechanics or they join some type of federal law enforcement branch. But I wasn't really interested in that. And I actually got really into reading finance books and reading business books. And so I ended up going to college for finance. I thought I was going to be a public equities guy. But I did my first internship in asset management and I kind of learned that those S&T jobs and things like that were going by the wayside and wasn't really a growth market. And coming from a non-target school, my odds were pretty slim. So I ended up graduating and working at a um, defense contractor here in the Northeast doing proposals and um, supply chain. So what's that work look like? Day-to-day, a lot of what I do is uh, sourcing the material that we're putting together for a proposal. So it's uh, like non-execution work. It's, uh, it's a lot of figuring out of suppliers, OEMs, or distributors who's going to offer the best price and um, making sure all the materials priced out for a proposal before we send it to the government. Are you able to share a little bit about what kinds of projects you work on exactly? Um, a lot of the contracts that I work on are development stage, things like that feed into DARPA programs or, or first-time development contracts like that. And uh, I think that's the most exciting, obviously, cutting-edge part of the business that we work on. Doesn't sound like you're able to share too much more about the specific nature of your project, but uh, how does this fit in with what you're looking to do long-term in defense? Long-term, I I've obviously am here to become a business owner and work for myself, at least have more autonomy over my time than uh, than I do now. So how I see it fitting, fitting in long-term, something along the lines of doing this and becoming really a subject matter expert on kind of a wide breadth of the industry. And then long-term, I'd love to be an owner and operator for a, a more of a sub contractor someone so a contractor that we would work with as a prime what drew you into defense 
Well, like I had mentioned, you know, I, I kind of realized that um, working in public equities or finance or whatever uh, wasn't necessarily the best path for me. So I, um, I was started looking for something that I really could see like a hard outcome being built instead of just moving around dollars on, a, on an Excel sheet. I wanted to like really feel like I was being a part of something that I was you know, really producing. And then that coupled with just growing up, always working for the government in some capacity, I, I thought it was a good opportunity for me. And um, I was definitely really interested in the type of work that I could be doing and where it would take me. And then, you know, I found some inspirations for uh, seeking out business ownership and, and what that would look like long term. So I saw an opportunity there too. Is there something intriguing about like supply chains and managing materials and pricing and putting together a project that you, you find really engaging? I, I do a lot. And it's funny because I like work in this really untrendy industry doing this very untrendy thing. You know, you don't see a lot of people aspiring to get into supply chain. Some of the, the biggest folks on um, social media don't really even have like degrees in supply chain. They just you know, end up in the industry and then finding a passion for it. But I do like it a lot. I, I like the idea of putting something together start to finish and I don't necessarily do this right now it's that would be more on the execution side but like really contributing to like I said building something tangible and in like a product like this especially one that helps defend our nation I think is so interesting why are you anonymous I think I'm anonymous mostly because I, when I first started working in the industry I was, a, I was very nervous about any type of like blowback if I was going to have uh, opinions about industry-specific stuff, um, if I was going to be talking about contracts or anything like that, that are, you know is public knowledge, but also if I was going to have opinions on other companies or anything like that. A lot of that has subsided as far as the fear for me. I, I don't consider it like it's going to be uh, ever arising. It will ever be a problem, but um, maybe at some point I'll, I'll turn it around. Mostly I really liked the handle. It kind of like combined the two things that I was really interested in. It was like the asset allocation and defense. Like those are the two. That's like the merger of what I want my career to be really. So so then for someone who's, like, I'm really interested in the defense industry, but I don't really know very much about it. What would you say to searchers who are really curious about the industry just to kind of give them like a high level overview? Yeah, uh, it's a lot like, you know, every other kind of manufacturing style and industry out there, um, but it definitely has its own quirks. There's a lot of uh, government specific requirements and there's they write whole entire federal legislation around how you sell things to the government and how you work with the government. Um, so ha- having a you know, working knowledge of like the FAR uh, federal acquisitions re- regulations and ITAR and EAR restrictions and things like that, that's important. And so it's it's almost like a working knowledge of that stuff is important. And so it's, it's almost more modi, if that makes sense. I know it's like a really overused Buffety thing to say, but it's just <laughs> to, to get to dive uh, even deeper into it. You know, it's not as simple as um, maybe picking up another type of distribution company if you're looking to acquire a business or something like that. And I'm sure every industry says, you know, this one is special because X, Y, and Z. But just in my experience working with the government, there's always, you know, extra red tape and regulation and stuff that you have to go through. And so where does your company fit in along the supply chain of distributors and or manufacturers and distributors? So we're a, a prime contractor. So we work directly with whatever the government um, customer is. And then um, down the line from that, you would have subcontractors who could be either people that are providing goods and services or a distribution company that's providing goods and services. And 
um, so on. In the defense industry, as you see it, what do you see as some of the most interesting business models or niches in the industry for you to work on or that you're just interested in learning about? Something that I really, really enjoy seeing is, and this is not who I am at all. I think that's maybe why I find it so interesting is there's a caricature of a guy who has this great nifty invention and it's like a puzzle piece that if we shave off just a little bit of the sides and shape it really nicely, it fits perfectly into a product that we're trying to sell to the government or we have maybe been selling to the government and we have like this really specific problem uh, that we need to solve. And that, that guy is building this puzzle piece that we can fit right in. And I, I love that stuff. As far as like scaling, you know, when we peel back the onion and talk about like the business side, as far as scaling and stuff like that goes, that's really tough because, you know, if he's only doing this one particular thing, you're basically, you can't really go uh, above and beyond unless you're going to be doing other products and things like that. And then you get into this whole rat's nest, but having that IP and, and having a a strong uh, requirement for it and like building up the demand for it, that's a, a very solid small business that can be built. So within those businesses, the the puzzle builders, if you will, what's the key driving force behind those companies and their success? Is it continuing to get new government contracts or is it developing some sort of expertise in a certain technology or manufacturing method? What what are like two or three things maybe that really drive those companies? The number one thing that that company is founded on is that IP. So that whatever intellectual property that you know, that company has produced, it's usually just an engineer, you know, maybe a friend or his wife, and they're trying to build a business around doing something really specific. I've seen it with, you know, a heat exchanger or even like some type of, uh, even a, even a process to, to do some type of foundry work or something like that. And, you know, you, these stories are printed. You, you can find these, you know, online. There's tons of case studies about this, but just in my own experience, I sometimes come across this company and it's, I make a phone call and it's the guy's wife that picks up and she's like the front end of the business. And then he's the back end with, you know, maybe two or three more people. And I'm like, this is a, a perfect example of like a fly under the radar, strong revenue creation, just like with a couple more add-ons, like this could be a really great business. Just thinking about it on my own right now, that I my concern would be if I was to buy one of these companies it would be, you know, customer concentration. And if that contract goes away, or if the IP becomes redundant, you know, something new comes around that replaces it. Are those valid concerns or how do you see them perhaps differently or, or is that fairly accurate? I mean, and again, like I said, I'm not an engineer by a trade at all. And, and I don't have the, the background or really speak intelligently about IP stuff. But I got to imagine that if you come across someone or if the, that prime something like we do, if they come across someone that does something a little bit better, sells it for a little bit less, checks a couple more boxes you know, and that contract dries up, you don't have a business anymore. And same thing with, if you're in a, if you're tr- trying to acquire a business, this is exactly what you are a little afraid of because the whole entire company is built around maybe one guy's own brain. It's tough to take over that, that kind of thing unless you have that background or uh, can supplement it in other ways. Are these businesses that generally should be either acquired by competitors or other engineer types and it, they're perhaps more on the risky side of acquisitions then? Yeah, I, I would say there's a lot of a risk in acquisition in, in this kind of example because if you don't have that kind of engineering mindset, um, you're gonna you might run into problems where you can't develop something else and you can't you know build on this kind of idea. So then, are these are these companies that you're interested in buying, or is there a different type of company within your industry that you find 
more interesting as a, like a perspective searcher? If I was going to be doing a search fund right now, I, I don't think that this that would be the ideal model that I'd be looking for for a business. I think I'd be probably looking for more of a distribution style business, still catering in defense industries, like a, a very specific commodity within the defense industry that is less competitive than, you know, say semiconductors or something some type of chip manufacturer that you can get anywhere. Those distribution companies are are everywhere and they're very large. So if you maybe could be the distribution point of contact for a group of companies that do one kind of specific commodity and uh, there was you know not a lot of competition around, that's I think that would be more my speed where it's just kind of getting these widgets from point B to, to A. Is there an anonymized example company that you know of that fits that profile for you? You know, I'm not really sure about uh, uh, like a small scale one. I, obviously, there's the classic big distributors that would compete against each other a lot. But I don't know if there is um, a really good example of a, a distributor that focuses on kind of like a maybe a difficult to move commodity where, it, you know, it's more expensive or something like that. It's difficult to warehouse. You know, if, if you can crack those problems, I feel like you could really create a market. Yeah. So in that sense, where do you see opportunity for a prospective searcher to come in the defense industry and make a good deal for themselves? Well, I, th- I think outside of just the usual benefits for someone from the outside, maybe acquiring a business from business where you could just find the obvious efficiencies. If you can bring to the table the specific knowledge that you need for the industry and then also build a couple systems and maybe streamline the sales process, sweep up the back office stuff, and then also build a, a really solid distribution channel or you know nail the logistics stuff, that would be I think where the, the, a major opportunity would be. So when you say sales stuff, does that mean bidding more often on contracts or making better bids or what does that work look like? So that, that's kind of the, the piece of this business is that I always see and I see some of them kind of flounder for, for that reason because they don't really, maybe they can't work our quoting system well and so they miss out on bidding on things that, you know, we're sending requests to them and they, they can't get it together to for whatever reason to bid on it or it could be as simple as like checking the email that this all this stuff gets dumped into, you know, really, really basic stuff. But or even just reaching out like I am always impressed, but I never really respond to companies that respond after they have submitted RFQs and want to check in on what the status of the bid is. When was the award date? Are you looking to get this shipped by this date or what's this? How is this going to look uh, with the follow up? Doing those kind of simple things. And it might even just be a matter of hiring someone to handle it outside of just the engineer and then whoever is maybe running customer care, maybe not. That would be a game changer for these kinds of companies. Yeah. So is that kind of along the lines of what you might do in in one of those companies or how would you step function the sales function upwards? I guess my own sales pitch for what I could be doing is is um, do it like uh, maybe even automating those kinds of processes or just like setting up kind of a flag that goes off every time you get some type of request like that. Because, you know, if you own any type of business at all, I'm sure you're inundated with emails every single day. But those kinds of ones that are for proposals that we're building or even if it's like trying to get in in touch with purchasers and things like that, those have to be at the top of your list somehow, right? So is this an industry that really only experts should play in like if a like what are the main dangers if someone comes in without that defense experience or knowing how government contracts work and some of the regulations you mentioned earlier 
No, I don't think you should be deterred if you, you know, are a searcher and you find a great opportunity here or something like that. Um, like there's whole Reddit, sub, there's whole subreddits on this industry, government contracting and things like that. And being on them, you see sometimes they preface their questions with like, hey, I know this is a simple one. I'm sorry, but like, how do you do this one thing? Or I have this one problem. How can I make sure I'm nipping this in the butt? Stuff like that. I definitely think that there's walls that are built around it, but I definitely think that there's still potential there and you shouldn't be deterred by it at all. If anything, I think that it's probably one of the, the best industries as far as um, resilience goes. Sales cycle is, is long, so you don't see the impact of recessions like you do in other industries. It's tough to compete in. And so if you're established, I, like the, those kinds of companies do very well for usually a, a long period of time. So you mentioned that the the owners or founders of the supply chain companies are generally engineers. Is that true across most supply chain companies? And then what's the typical like profile of a the founder of a distribution business or at least the owner of one? I believe that it's a business-minded person, less of kind of the engineer type, um, that sees an opportunity to add to this value chain. And it's feeding companies that want to outsource that, you know, sales and distribution component, which I think is is a huge opportunity in defense for either entrepreneurial minded people or people looking to acquire businesses. Because I, I think there's like t- there's two kinds of like you see the OEMs, the, the um, equipment manufacturers, they're, they're the ones that are usually like the founder or this current CEO or something like that is an engineering type who maybe like either founded the company on a type of product that they make that they can sell. Or what I've seen too is like they were working for an engineering company, they had this idea or whatever, and they spun it off into a different business and built it, or built it around this IP. So how do you find these distribution businesses to acquire? Is it, like if you're a searcher now looking to find one, are there brokers that specialize in defense type companies or is this a primarily owner outreach strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer. I, I haven't done an, enough research into, um, you know, how, how to really seek out companies that would be like a potential check all the boxes for for what I would be looking for if I was searching now. I got to imagine that if it's anything like finding profiles on, you got to think like B2B businesses in general, they don't re- usually broadcast as much as B2C companies do, right? To, f- to reach out and find them it is going to be difficult, but also what is you know the, the brokerage market for these companies? I don't really know. That's a good question. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting to see what you come up with. Is there another type of business outside of distributors that you find interesting within defense that could be is primed for a more entrepreneurial owner to come in and turn things around or at least step function them upwards? I think that there's a, an opportunity. If you were able to keep the current founder or CEO on board and um, maybe like work hand in hand with him, because this is also another train of thought that I have as far as like um, uh, ownership goes, is if I could be brought into, or if you're a searcher and you could be brought in with an equity position and maybe like a COO role or something like that, or like biz dev manager something along those lines learn the company inside out if you have the mind for it learn some of the engineering aspects and, and how can you you're able to keep up with that sort of thing i think that would be definitely a big opportunity but the, so you'd be looking at like an oem or something along those lines too is that something where eventually the searcher who becomes the coo eventually flip-flops with the owner and becomes the ceo and then the owner steps down to like the director of engineering type role within the company 
Yeah. So I, I would imagine that in that case, it would be along the lines of, I will come in, um, build an equity position over the next five years, gradually take over the role of CEO, CEO as you step down into something like an engineering director or something like that, and then gradually step away from the company completely. Do you think that's fairly common among these OEM manufacturers where the, the owner who's just the you know maybe more engineering minded and doesn't really enjoy the business side of it and he just wants to build things all day. Maybe he's looking for someone to take over because he's tired of doing the, the CEO job and just wants to you know, go back to his engineering department and just work there. Is that something that's common or is that more random? I couldn't tell you if it was very common or not. I gotta imagine a lot of these kinds of OEM companies are founded on this builder seller principle where one person is the product guy and then the other person is running maybe all the business functions. From looking at it from that sense, I would imagine that there's an opportunity. I couldn't really tell you if, the, if it is common or not. Do you know if there's a opportunity to roll up a few OEM manufacturers together or are there some government regulations that could come into play where if you control too many suppliers or OEM manufacturers that there's perhaps more limitations or there's stronger regulation for you like above a certain size perhaps? Is there something like that that you might have to watch out for? I think you might run into some problems if you are in direct competition with each other, meaning building the same exact product or if you... Yes. So if you had two OEMs that competed on one widget, um, that that could definitely be a problem. But as far as rolling up multiple that do different things, maybe work in the same quantity field, but sell different products. No, I think that's a great opportunity. Definitely could see synergies there if you could consolidate, you know, four or five different manufacturing shops into one larger space. And maybe they're even if they're doing pretty different, varied tasks, you could probably get all of that back office stuff into one house and uh, save on a lease a little bit. Like there's definitely a huge opportunity there. If you take over a, a company like this, how do you grow sales effectively? So how do you find new, is it just a matter of bidding on new contracts and spending on R and D to develop new products or where's the point where you can just pour in effort and hopefully you know something good comes from it? I would have to imagine that the R and D aspect and building out different differentiating products that's probably where you would find the, the most um, revenue driver. As you can't really go out to different different uh, customers. There's only the one, you know. Um, even international sales, for the most part, are FMS contracts, which go through the government. So it's tough to go out and find someone else that's gonna um, increase the demand for your stuff. So it would it would definitely be a matter of product innovation, adding things to your app sheet, stuff like that. And then, is there anything on the macro scale that a an owner or searcher? in the defense industry needs to be aware of. Like they should be tracking news of government military budgets and projects. Like what's what's the important leading indicator for an owner to pay attention to? Probably international news. I mean, it's the, at the rate 2020 is going, things are looking great for the defense industry. Um, but I would also say that if you're following the you know government fiscal agenda every year. That's important. It also depends on what branch you're feeding or what, what kind of stuff you're feeding. People were really optimistic at the beginning of the year because we had this grand master plan to add a significant amount of ships to the fleet for the Navy. That has since subsided a little bit. So what was once an opportunity and a really optimistic thing to be looking at if you were you know, feeding some type of like DDG or something like that uh, and you were a supplier on those types of contracts, now that that has kind of subsided, you're maybe not as optimistic. 
And is that driven primarily by just COVID and effects of COVID? Or is there some other political factor that's going on? Yeah, it would be it would mostly be political, like what the fiscal agenda is of, of the administration, usually, like as the example that I was giving, adding a ton of ships to the fleet is, is a obviously surefire sign of increased sales for primes and then subcontractors if you're if you're feeding those types of programs or even sh- like shipboard renovation stuff like that i think i want to say it was like 70 percent of prime contractors um, revenue comes from repairs and services things along those lines so if you are one of those kinds of contractors then that's that's really where you're baking your bread from what, what do you see on your horizon as the next political event to either like trigger a, a sea change in military spending and whatnot? Um, I think that this is maybe played out by now, but I think the cyber and AI routes are going to be really lucrative down the road. There was a couple of big awards this year, but I think that that, that kind of trend will continue. There's a, a VC by the name of Josh Wolf that's really interested in this space. I track a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, he's always a, a great follow on Twitter, but I think really think he's got the head on the nail for the, for that kind of thing. I really think that that's going to be lucrative as far as government spending goes, and you know the we're talking about such a an easier I shouldn't say easier, but such a, a lower overhead once it's built kind of thing to to keep up you know rather than these big mechanical you know industrial type parts. I mean, you talk to any SaaS business owner, they're going to tell you that. They've got the greatest business in the world, right? So um, looking at that kind of thing uh, going forward, I, th- I think that's really where the, the best market would be. Is that a part of defense that you're interested in, the AI and cybersecurity type businesses? Or has that kind of been crowded out? Yeah, it's it's definitely really crowded. It's also an area that I'm not very well versed in. So it would probably take a lot of nudging for me to get there. But it, it's, you know, I, I don't want to take anything off the table. What makes you nervous being in defense? Uh, I actually just did a, a quick Twitter thread on this very recently because uh, a great article was written on the defense supply chain and kind of the risks that you see with relying so heavily on a peer adversary for so much of our manufacturing and our defense supply chain. China is obviously one of the biggest producers of uh, semiconductors and the chips and stuff that we produce. And I couldn't tell you you know, how much of that is like linchpin things that cannot be sourced anywhere else. But I think a, a very big business opportunity for ambitious people are going to be to bring that to either the United States or bring that manufacturing to the United States or, you know, allies that we have. So on the flip side, then what makes you excited? The stability of the business. I mean, I don't think you can can really beat what that what's offered here, but also the possibility for growth within well-established companies. I think that that's what really gears me towards uh, ownership in the long run within the defense industry. Not that I'm not open to other, other industries, but I think that there's so much opportunity here because it's not the trendiest, it's not the sexiest, you know, not a lot of kids are graduating from Harvard and saying they want to go work at, well, maybe the engineers are, but on the business side, you don't see a lot of uh, folks wanting to go work at the, the big industrial defense companies like this. Beyond just buying a business, is there a long-term plan or vision you have? Not so much. A friend of mine have always talked about like opening up a boys and girls home. So like building the assets to kind of do something like that, I think is has always been fascinating to me. And it's just such an awesome way to give back. But that, I mean, obviously that's not like the reason I'd, I'd want to get into owning a business. Probably something to do with 
um, having autonomy over my own time, being able to make those kinds of decisions where it's like, are we going to do path X or path Y? I think that's, it's just a, f- a fascinating thing. I know it's not a very good way to get educated on the business, but I read tons of business bios because I always think that those paths to, to growth and, and building, you know, real serious companies is so interesting. So. Is there a particular founder or business that you admire most? Sam Zummery, uh, he did, uh, well, he took over United Fruit, but he started his own um, fruit company. It was basically moving bananas from South America to the United States. But in the time frame he was doing it, it was really difficult. It was labor intensive and also you're against the clock the minute you cut a banana off the vine. So that's a, a fantastic story about um, distribution and, and really how to build a company and it's a bootstrap story. Another like business owner founder, I would definitely say um, reading Shoe Dog was really good for me too. I think that like was the linchpin where I was like, this is uh, this is a route I'd love to go in. And seeing the, how he overcome overcame a lot of stuff within building the business, I thought was so interesting. Yeah, and that's the fish that ate the whale, right? On the first one you recommended. Yep. The, yes, that's uh, the fish that ate the whale. Excellent. We can we can link to both of those. If you could teach a class in college about anything you wanted, what would you teach and why? I think I would probably teach a class about getting uncomfortable, understanding how you can conquer, getting uncomfortable and facing your fears and things like that. Not that I'm an expert in it by any means, but I think it's so important that if you can, you know, even teach someone that's never done 10 push-ups before how to do 10 push-ups your mind immediately goes into this place where it's like, well, where, what else can I accomplish? Like, where else can I move forward from this? So it'd probably be a combination of physical education and then like a long reading list. <laughs> but I, I think that that would be a really cool class to teach. And I think that's like the strongest form of like personal development. What's a belief you used to hold strongly earlier in life that you've since changed your mind on? I think I've always been at least decently ambitious. And I, I used to look at people that maybe got comfortable in their role or I thought that they were like undershooting what their value was. I used to think they were idiots. I was, I was so critical of people that maybe like what I saw is stuck in a role or doing something that was above, uh, sorry, below them. Uh, I was, I was so critical of them, but then I kind of grew to learn that everyone values different things. And maybe that person is a young parent and they're happy with making the salary that they're making and working 40 hours and going home and having dinner with their kids. You know, those, I, I guess I took I took for granted what other people valued and I wasn't uh, empathetic to that enough. And that's just something I've been realizing very recently, maybe in the past two years. I've kind of been changing my mind a lot on that lately. Was there a pivotal moment or interaction you had that really pushed you over the edge there? I don't know. I don't know if there was a, a particular moment, but there was definitely like a, a exact vision of a person that I worked with that was uh, in the military and never went up for promotions or anything like that, just kind of stuck around. Uh, he always wanted to look for a unit in New England, which is easy to do in the Coast Guard. Um, but, I, you know, it's easy to make that next jump in a career like that if you just, you know, went to Unit X and, like, took your service exam, things like that. Um, but he was kind of unwilling to do it because he was just really happy with where he was. And I didn't appreciate that until I kind of, like came to value other stuff other than just, you know, career success or doing the best you can and overachieving and stuff like that. That's a great answer. What's the best business you've ever seen? I, you know, I can't point to a specific one, but I would say if you can be uh, a, a prime government contractor for some type of good or service, doesn't have to be the defense industry at all, and kind of fly under the radar, you know, never be a talking point in uh, budgetary hearings or anything like that. I think that's just the, that's the, the perfect route and it's just like always a cash cow. 
And, uh, you know, if I could find one of those, that would be, that's, that would be what I would be searching for. Is there a place outside of defense where those OEMs can really thrive in that role? Well, an OEM, maybe, maybe not. But even if you were providing services, like the company that cleans the floors, you know, I'm just spitballing. Maybe that's not even a good one. But uh, if you were just providing some type of, of simple service to a department or some type of headquarters that... It, it's just always a, a rubber stamp like, yeah, they're doing a great job. We're not going to bother with changing them out. This isn't where we're going to cut costs or anything like that. Something like that. I'd love to find a good example for you, though. Well, one another type of B2B business that I've heard about this is a uh, flower leasing company. So it was a woman that owned a flower shop or something like that. And then it, the flower shop kind of folded up, but she kept all the plants and would loan them to like coffee shops or libraries or whatever like that. That might be secondhand. I don't remember where I heard that, but I thought that was just genius because it's just this fly under the radar thing that you never think of, you know. But the plants eventually die, don't they? Yeah. So she was in charge of like going into the place, watering the plants, changing them out or like pruning them or whatever she's got to do and stuff like that. And they, I'm assuming they pay her like a flat monthly fee to just come in on a weekly basis change them out if she needs to or water them or do whatever she's got to do there's got to be someone who does that for the pentagon who would be like an amazing business <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly someone has office plants that they need taken care of that's like a four star and <laughs> they need they need it taken care of. yeah that's genius yeah they need their office all looking nice and green this has been awesome thank you very much for sharing your time i, I love chatting chatting about this stuff so thank you very much for coming on yeah of course i, I wish i prefaced this whole conversation with you know I'm a rookie in this industry, so if any of your listeners are like Cracker Jacks at uh, the defense industry, I hope they don't, you know, criticize me too much. <laughs> well, hopefully it leads to some fun conversations at some point. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information, including show notes, transcripts, and other links, please visit alexbridgman.com.